WHT, New York City. Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this Father's Day episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. It's Father's Day. And while we're expressing our support, appreciation, and love to all the dads who are doing their best for their children, we're focusing on the deadly racist violence in Charleston, South Carolina. So today, if you're in the New York City and Tri-State area, very hot, humid, rainy day. Should be getting better by the end of the day. If you're out with your family, you're going to you know, go barbecue in the park or whatever. But we really wanted to focus on this because there are few situations that have happened in the last couple of years where I've gotten... This many phone calls, text messages, people stopping me on the street, just venting, talking, confused, hurt, explaining, just wanting to discuss this whole issue. So that's why we're devoting the show to it today. We're going to be shouting out the dads, too, as we go along and uh, opening up the phone lines right now. Rose is on the phone lines. Michael Medium's here holding me down with the boards at 1-800-223-9797. That's one 800 223 97 97 for your comments about the murders of nine people at the Emanuel AME Church Wednesday night in Charleston, South Carolina. And if you want to share with us lessons your father taught you about race, regardless of what your race is, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Latino, whether you're mixed, whether you're Asian, whatever your racial or ethnic makeup, a lot of people are saying racists are not made, they're born. And, uh, you know, we want to hear from you, too. So give us a call at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. And now would be a good time to text your family and friends out of state and tell them to tune in and listen to the live stream of this show on hot97.com. And, of course, 97.1 FM right here in New York City and the Tri-State. You can follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Post your comments there and on Instagram, at Lisa Evers. Now, this morning, the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, is no longer officially a crime scene. The church will be returning to its primary mission, a house of worship. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the family members and friends of the nine people who were robbed of life and gunned down as they prayed together during a Bible study session. And we just all we can do is hope that the love that they believed in will wash away all the hate and help our country move once and for all beyond the racial violence and that this just won't be one of those incidents where everybody goes, oh, isn't that terrible? And then life goes back to normal. I just don't think that's the way, the best way we can honor honor the victims here. And, and, and clearly we have a lot to learn. Now, court documents that were revealed on Friday to us show that the father and uncle of the self-confessed killer, Dylan Roof, they're the ones that called police after they saw his wanted picture and identified him to authorities, and that's why he was picked up so quickly. The court documents contain chilling, deeply disturbing details. And there was a lot of talk about this before, but this was the this is from the official court records, the affidavits that are filed in court that the officers swear to that the prosecutors after their inter- interrogation with Del- Dylan Roof and also their preliminary investigation. This is where this information comes from, that the 21 year old was armed with a 45 caliber gun, which he legally purchased. He spent an hour sitting with a prayer group. Before he stood up and opened fire, he had the gun, the 45, which is a pretty big handgun, in a fanny pack. After shooting and killing the nine people there who had welcomed him with love into their circle, nobody questioned him. Nobody said, who are you? What are you doing here? You don't look like you belong here. He was welcomed. They opened their arms to him as their faith prescribes, allowed him in, and he sat there. The court records say that he he shot them, and then after he shot everybody, he allegedly uttered a racially inflammatory statement and left one person alive so they could convey the message. So what the legal experts are saying, that shows automatically right there there's premeditation. Now, federal law enforcement officers say he expressed absolutely no remorse for what he'd done. And in the days since this happened, and in the hours, pictures have surfaced of him draped in the Confederate flag with white, white supremacist patches on a jacket. And the U.S. Justice Department now says, they said late Friday, the feds are investigating. Justice Department spokesperson says they're, they're going to consider possible hate crime violations and review the shooting as an act of domestic terrorism because it was designed to strike fear and terror 
into the community. The governor of South Carolina says they want the death penalty. Now, even though Dylan Roof is in custody, there are still many unanswered questions, even questions like, how are we framing this, the discussion about this whole incident? There's an undertone of, let's have the black community be calm. But where are the conversations about rooting out the racist attitudes or climate that allows people like this to feel like they can they can do this and that this is actually maybe even sanctioned by some people when you see the Confederate flag flying on the state house in the South Carolina Capitol and in other places and allowed on license plates. Now, Dylan reportedly targeted the Emanuel AME Church because of its historic significance to black the black community and also all Americans. It was built by former slaves. It was even burned down in its illustrious history by a white mob only to rise again. The church is a symbol of love triumphing over hate and uh, of peace triumphing over violence. Now we're going to be discussing this disturbing incident. Talk with our guests. Take your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Do you think the Charleston killer, the accused Charleston killer, should be considered a domestic terrorist? Do you think he should be eligible for the death penalty? And what's the best way to remember the victims here and honor their legacy? What will their legacy be? one 800 9797. That's 1 800 223 9797. Joining us in studio now is Dr. Elisa English. AskDrElisa.com is her website. She's a clinical therapist and licensed social worker. She specializes in many different areas, but the area that we're most interested in her expertise this morning is in talking about the effects of this violence, the fear, and also these racist attitudes. Dr. Elisa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Elisa. We also um, welcome into the studio. Kenny, he's a DJ known as Kenny Wreck. He's also, when he's not DJing, the father of six, and he's here repping for the dads. Kenny, thank That's you right. so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. We really appreciate it. But first, I want to go to the phone, and uh, let's bring in to start with Reverend Michael Faulkner. He's the pastor of the New Horizon Church in Harlem. He's also a former New York Jets player. And uh, Reverend Faulkner, are you there with, are you there with us now? Reverend Faulkner? I'm here. Okay, great. I just want to make sure you can hear us. First of all, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you. Thank you. And all who are listening, happy Father's Day. And uh, for those of you who didn't get a card or, or call into your father, it's not too late. Get it done. Definitely get it done. Um, Reverend Faulkner, could you please give us a few words of encouragement and inspiration for the fathers? Because we were going to focus originally on fathers' rights and the importance of fathers in our children's lives. But from all the work that you've been doing over the years, could you just tell us you know, what you would like to say to the dads who are listening and also the dads who are not who are estranged from their kids? You know, I, uh, I've i had the privilege of raising three wonderful children and now am also, you know, stepfather to another wonderful daughter. And, and I can tell you, being a father is a great thrill, but all men have not had that. And I I, I, I grieve for them, you know, that, that have had children and not been in their lives because my children add so much to my life now at this at this point. But I will say... It's not too late. I was estranged from my father uh, for most of my life, uh, for all of my childhood. And then uh, we decided, we made a choice as adults to, to be in each other's lives again. And it was a thrill just before he passed, years before he passed. And I can tell you, it's not too late. Uh, pick up the phone as the father, take that step. No matter what the situation is with the mother, uh, no matter what you've done in the past, it's not too late to begin that process of healing. And it's very, very important. And I can tell you from, you know, somebody who went through that and that reconciliation process with, uh, with my biological father and also with my stepfather, it's, it's an important process. It's an important process in healing. So. Dr. Lisa, what about the, the roles of the father? There's a, a lot of people say that that's, that's the key to success for children, but 
What about the what about the whole father issue here? I think that uh, fathers, like mothers, they have an equal responsibility to the children and to the rearing of the children. Their role is extremely significant and important and vital to the overall development and well-being. But I also think we need to broaden the scope of father. Father is those men in the community that serve as role models, that serve as change agents, that serve as examples for children every day. And so we need to give shout out to all the men who serve in a role of importance and significance in a child's life because when we just narrow it to the biological father or the adoptive father or the stepfather, it seems to limit such an important role. Yet the mom seems to play all those roles all the time and it's expected to do that. Exactly. DJ Kenny Rack, the, uh, as, as a father of six, which, how are you feeling today and happy Father's Day to oh, you? Thank you so much. It's just a privilege to be a father. You know, um, I'm truly blessed. Every day I wake up and I see their faces, you know, it's just like a ball of sunshine. Um, yeah, my heart goes out to those that, you know, um, you know, aren't a father or, you know, estranged or lost their father, or fathers lost incarcerated. Father. Absolutely. The people who lost their fathers in the Charleston shootings. I mean, that's, that's, oh man, it's tough. That's a tough it, situation. If and my a, heart goes out to everybody down there, you know, hold tight and just, you know, trust in God. And, and know that our prayers and thoughts are, are with you. Absolutely. Re- Reverend Faulkner, I want to ask you about the, the murders inside Mother the Emanuel AME Church called Mother Emanuel. What concerns you the most about this? Because we always think of churches as a place of sanctuary, and the black church in particular, though, has been more than just a spiritual retreat. It's also been on the forefront for, for centuries of social justice. Right. And, you know, it's important. Three things I will say just very quickly. One is that... Yes, this was a racist attack by a racist man who was uh, twisted by hatred and and so forth. And so that's that's out there. That's that's what I believe. But also, I, as a Christian and those in Emmanuel Mother uh, 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 AME Church understood and, and they treated this man as such. As Christians, we understand that we will come under attack. As Christians, we understand that. We live in a world that uh, is that did not love our Savior and therefore will not love us. We understand that. And so this hatred, you know, towards the, uh, you know, because there are millions of persecuted Christians right now uh, in our world, and we, we associate with that. And the third is I, I just, I've been so honored to see the the way that the church, the dignity with which the church and the church members, the family members or the victims have responded to this. This is a Christ-centered response. They have responded as the scriptures have told us to, and 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 I have been very, um, I, I guess, as, as grieved as I am over this racist, horrible attack. I have been uplifted by seeing our brothers and sisters suffer this and give glory to God. And Reverend Faulkner, I wanted to ask you about that because some people were surprised that at the hearing on Friday with Dylan Roof there in you know by by video, but the family members could some of the family members spoke out about about their losses. They were still willing to forgive him. They were that was the first thing we forgive you. This this person who had just robbed them of somebody that they love dearly, explain that. Where does that come from? What is that? Because a lot of other people are are thinking, you know what? This is this is when you get revenge. This is when you get justice, and and that type of thing. But there is that their faith. Where is that coming from? That that can only come from God. I mean, that can only come from their faith, and from I mean, Jesus as he was being nailed to the cross said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." They are following that example, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God that empowers and enables each of us as human beings, should we choose to, to trust Him, to follow that example. And it, it is baffling to the natural mind because it's not a natural reaction. It's not a natural response. It indeed is a supernatural response that, you know, you can't fake it. At a time like this, right. you either are or you aren't. This is the real Deal. This is not. This is not put on. This is not made for TV. This is the real deal, and this is how um, 
we should respond, and I thank God for the example that they are to all of us um, as to how we are to deal with these kind of incidents. All right, Reverend Michael Faulkner, pastor of the New Horizon Church in Harlem, thank you so, so much for being with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Okay, God bless you. All right, God bless you. Thank you so much. 1-800-223-9797. And uh, let's go to the phones right now. We'll we'll go to uh, uh, Ahmed from New Jersey. Ahmed, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning. Good morning. Blessings to all. Thank you so much. Blessings to you, too. Um, I just wanted to say, as far as the the shooting goes, I understand where um, Reverend Foster is coming from and saying that um, as Christians, you know, we learn to forgive and we should forgive. I mean, I think all, I think religion teaches us all that forgiveness is very necessary. But also we have to um, remember that our rate ours should be up because there is an attack going on and we should not be naive to think that it's going to be um, isolated incidents because so far we've seen history repeats itself. So as a people, we need to be prepared we have to have understanding and we have to be able to protect each other so that we can um move forward it starts with ourselves you know we can we can pray all we want but if we're not prepared we're still going to be you know we're still going to be still vulnerable off. vulnerable is what you're saying Ahmed, thank you so much for the call 1-800-223-9797 you're listening to hot 97 street soldiers we're wishing all the fathers listening a happy father's day even to the mothers that are performing that role in some of their children's lives without their the, the, their children's father being present there and encouraging everyone, give your dad a call. And, uh, you know, fathers, if you haven't talked with your kids, maybe this is the day to reconcile, as Reverend Faulkner said. But Dr. Elisa English, AskDrElisa.com, dealing with the fear. Something like this happens. Ahmed referred to it a little bit, but that has to strike fear now everybody walking into a church because we don't go through metal detect detectors when we go into churches the black church has been very welcoming open door policy while other churches have been shutting their doors it's there they welcome people there's all kinds of social programs that they perform in terms of um, helping people feeding elderly undocumented refuge you know sanctuaries that type of thing how do people deal with the fear well, uh, first, let's, let me say condolences to the family and friends of the victims in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. What a tragedy. Uh, but as a behavioral health scientist, I'm always concerned about how people respond emotionally and mentally to these kinds of horrific and unfathomable um, situations. And one thing that strikes me is for the family to come out so early in forgiveness in that, yes, it is a Christ-centered response, and I understand the Reverend's theory. However, the concern is that we also don't want them to move into post-traumatic stress disorder really quickly, and that often we numb, we avoid, we're hyper-aroused because we are quite stressed out about what happened. We're not thinking clearly. So I would like to see um, the behavioral health teams respond the way we've responded over the last 13 or 14 mass shootings in America, at least under Obama's administration, and he pointed this out. Um, in a way that really looks at the emotional and mental health of the victims' families over time, because that will be the real test of whether or not they coped well with this situation, as the Reverend pointed out. But certainly, we respect their humility, we respect their love, their care, we respect that they have a faith to hold on to, but we don't want to neglect to think about people have a natural way that they respond. And what is that? What is a natural way? Because to a be lot angry, of people's natural is, to be is anger, right? Anger, fear, suppression of emotion, uh, avoidance. Uh, you know, it's sometimes very unhealthy coping skills like alcohol and drugs. Uh, we need to watch out for all of these things. I think that uh, will the black community be fearful? I think the black community is fearful often about many things. Um, crime that happens to them in their community daily now to have people targeting you in your 
what makes this very horrific is that it happened in a place where you feel safe. Right. That's where you believe you, your guard is down. That's where you totally relax. And yet someone comes in an hour and sits with you, prays with you, loves with you, and then open fire and tells you, I need to do this because you're taking over my country or you're doing something that I am uncomfortable with. I think that's what makes this so concerning for us because it mimics a historical uh, disease that the United States of America has to, had to deal with for, for a very long time. And this historical disease being racism. Racism. Absolutely. Is it a mental illness? Is it classified? Do psychologists classify that, that type of hate as a mental illness? There's a body of literature um, and uh, uh, researchers who are who have suggested that we include racism in the DSM. The DSM is the diagnostic manual we use for to come up with a diagnosis for a patient. Um, and so that conversation continues. But I also want to be careful um, around issues of racism and violence and, and, and automatically lumping them into mental health. Mental health is a dignified disease. It's as dignified as hypertension, diabetes, and cancer. And we just don't want to put bad people in because we have a lot of good people who suffer from mental illness and are, are, are making it. You know, and I think what we need to look at, though, is what what is the social context or construct? What is the environment that is adding or to these kinds of uh, responses where they're so unhealthy that you become homicidal? Um, what is what is going on in your behavior? What is going on in your mood and your emotion? That's the trigger for this. And there this, are bad people who make these choices that, that cause people their lives. Let's bring in right now uh, Ken Montgomery. He's a criminal defense defense attorney, former prosecutor, professor of law at Fordham University. We're talking to him where he's uh, in Chicago, where he's working on a death penalty panel and death penalty uh, case. Ken, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Um, Ken, what do you think about these murder charges? Let's talk about the case, the, the legal aspect of this, these murder, murder charges against this cold-blooded killer. Well, um, you know, obviously, you know, you have state and federal uh, South Carolina is a death penalty state. Uh, so what's going on, I think, is the powers that be are trying to um, figure out where would this, uh, where would these charges be brought. Um, obviously, the federal, a lot of, what a lot of people don't know is there's a federal death penalty statute that um, even if you live in a, a non-death penalty state, such as New York, if you recall, Ronell Wilson was sentenced to death uh, uh, in his case some years ago. Um, and that's what's going on politically, I think, is they're trying to determine the Department of Justice if they're going to take over uh, or if they're going to allow the state to proceed. Uh, and, and I guess they're trying to figure out what charges, if, you know, just on its face without me looking at some of the confidential information uh, that they have. Obviously, there's some hate crime. And, and murder, obviously, nine counts of murder and, and gun possession, as well as other charges, are, are probably the most uh, logical charges that will be presented to a grand jury. Mm -hmm. So do, do in, in terms of the legal process, step by step, does the state of South Carolina, do they first go through their process and then do the feds come in? Because I don't know if it's true or not, but some people were saying that South Carolina does not have hate crime legislation. Well, I, I mean, I don't think... Um, as far as seeking, you know, I, I, let's, let's just say something very clear. I think the evidence is pretty damaging already. Um, so I don't think it would be a hard, I don't think the hate crime aspect of it um, will, as far as in a, a penalty standpoint, would increase it any more than it already is. It's murder as well as, 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 as other charges. Um, I, the Department of Justice and Loretta Lynch and, and her team has already had a press conference and already investigating this thing. So I think it's quite possible that the feds can take this, this case uh, uh, very quickly. And then in, in terms of illegal, and, and 
aren't we lucky to have Loretta Lynch there? Yeah. <laughs> we saw what she did here in New York as, as well, the... Well, uh, you know, you I, I, I'm conflicted. I'm a defense attorney by heart. <laughs> <laughs> at least there's some, you know, at least they're speaking out right away. That's, I mean, I consider that, I consider that a plus. But, I hear you. But Kenny, let, let me ask you this, because there's also been talk, as you know, about whether or not this, this should be classified as an act of domestic terrorism. It should be, absolutely. But does that, is that an emotional thing, or is that an actual legal no, listen, distinction? If we, if we want to be realistic, and this is what's, this is a problem uh, and a big pink elephant in the room in America's history, uh, the true violent nature of American history has always been um, swept under the rug. The national media uh, they paint they paint uh, this something like this differently than they would something else. Listen, this is obviously... Well, no, explain what you mean for that, because we're, um, we're speaking to a diverse yeah, national I don't want to offend people, but look... No, listen, please, go ahead. Listen, this <laughs> young man, right, if you saw immediately after this happened, the news organizations painted this young man as if he was quiet, he oh, yeah. may have been something <laughs> mental, how could he have done this? This young man wrote... A, uh, a statement as to why he did it. They had witnesses who can uh, say what he said prior to him doing it, and it's a refusal. The problem is this. The American narrative is that white men aren't violent. It's only reserved for black or Hispanic men as being the violent creatures, despite history. And I think uh, one of the panelists just mentioned, uh, black people being accosted in church is a very symbolic tried and true thing and that is you people are not even safe in a church and this young man he exhibited that and you have a judge who when it was time to arraign this young man instead of him doing his job he gave a colloquy about how we should have sympathy for the victim's family yeah that goes into the narrative he's setting the tone the family already has forgiven this guy now you have a judge saying this guy comes from a good family and uh, they're victims too. All that stuff goes to mitigating this and not looking at this for what it really was, which was a horrific act. What about if you, if you can put on your former prose- your prosecutor hat for a moment? Mm-hmm. I look at him, and as Dr. Elisa was saying, we just can't lump, throw all bad behavior into the mental health category because that's not accurate and it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not fair. By the same token, the writings, if those writings uh, that have been published that he had were true, the pictures, we did see him with a Confederate flag. He admitted this, what I was reading in the introduction came from the court uh, mm-hmm. the court documents that he he confessed to this the no flag rem- of Rhodesia no re- the flag of Rhodesia mm-hmm. the no remorse whatsoever so my question to you is if, if you were prosecuting this case would you also be automatically suspecting okay he acted alone in the actual shooting but who groomed him were there other people was well, this an hey, online here's the, here's the sick thing about that America groomed him in that very state that he lives waving high in the state of South Carolina is the Confederate flag. Um, the Tea Parties, the the Trumps of the world, the Giuliani's of the world, the Fox News of the world, um, all these conservatives, they, they put fuel on the fire as, uh, regarding these things. The national media, how they paint um, black and Hispanic people uh, are a part of this. It, this is an American thing, that he is only being what uh, he's bred to be. But that's regardless. It's let's look at his acting, what he did. He deserves no um, he deserves no exception. Let's look at his crimes and what he did. And when you look at these crimes and when you you know, listen, we live in a society there are many unfortunately black men who get in trouble. Um, their mitigating circumstances such as their parents were uh, perhaps missing, addicted to drugs, they grew up in poverty. Yo, these judges don't care one bit about that. Right, the and neither do these prosecutors. Right. So why should this kid? Why is this this um, this moment of hey, let's let's just figure out why this is? And that's because of race, the underlying issue of race. And you look at the you look at the mass kill. You look at Newtown. You look at Aurora. You look at Columbine. You look at these horrific mass uh, mass killings that we've had, and it's it's been mostly young white men. Right. Yeah, we absolutely. know the demographic. We just simply don't know. What about the young? Why. What about the middle-aged black man who was dr- uh, dragged by a truck uh, through through the streets of Texas and right. died? Right. 
No, many, many cases, many terrible cases. So, Ken, real quick before we go to break, we'll wrap it up with you. And then, what do you, what do you think is going to happen with this? Do you think, well, that in terms of, you know, from from the legal standpoint, and also from the larger political discussion that, see, that, that we're that's having, it. politics is involved heavily in this thing. I do believe that the uh, the tone has been set for mitigating circumstances for this young man. However. Um, the political environment, I think, is going to be a tug of war on whether they want to take this young man's life. And I think uh, in, in some circles he may be sacrificed to say, hey, hey, we're trying to right the wrongs of racism in this country, and this is a bad, violent act, blah, 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 blah. Um, and and we're going we're gonna to have to wait and see. But obviously, listen, these death penalty cases, most of these cases are not about the guilt or innocence. It's, it's about whether someone deserves to die or live. And I think that will be um, behind doors and, and, and figuring out what should go forward. I think if the feds come along, I think it's almost certain they're going to seek the death penalty. All right. Uh, attorney Ken Montgomery, criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor, professor of law at Fordham University Law School. Thank you so much. I know Thank you're you working on that federal death penalty. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're out here in, actually in Chicago with some of the best uh, federal death uh, people like Anthony Rico and David Runke. Uh, Mark DeMarco, uh, who's out here, my co-counsel, and, and there you have some of the best capital attorneys getting together and talking about their cases and figuring out some things, and I'm actually on my way home to see my kids today. All right, well, happy Father's Day, and uh, thank you so much for, for being with us one, again, everyone. as always. Okay. All right. okay. All right, thank you very much. That's Attorney Ken Montgomery. And uh, we're going to continue with our guest, Dr. Elisa English is with us, DJ, DJ Kenny Reck, father of six, and also a hip-hop music lover. And, yes. pr and promoter. We're going to talk about that, too. But um, And your phone calls. i got a lot of people on hold right now. Deborah, Anthony, Sarah, uh, Richie. So many people on hold. We're going to get to a lot of your telephone calls as well when we come back. But first, soon your old Hot 97 mobile app won't work. It is being replaced by our new free, did we say free, Where Hip Hop Lives mobile app. Download the new free Where Hip Hop Lives app in the App Store now or Google Play if you're on the Android system. I'm Lisa Evers, your host, uh, hashtag Charleston Shootings. We're talking about that and also uh, shouting out the fathers today on Father's Day. Give us a call, 1-800-223-9797, 1-800-223-9797. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Uh, we're honoring all the fathers today who are doing right by their kids, taking care of them. So big shout out to all the dads there and also the ones who are going through, you know, a lot of drama and uh, issues trying to reconnect with their kids. So uh, you still have plenty of time. It's the beginning of the day here in New York City, Eastern Standard Time. Give your dad a call and uh, reach out to him. And dads, reach out to your kids, too. And, you know, maybe this is the start of something really good and really important. We're also talking about the Charleston shootings on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram, at Lisa Evers, hashtag Charleston shootings. With us in studio, Dr. Elisa English, AskDrElisa.com. She's a clinical therapist, licensed social worker, behavioral health therapist, studying a lot of these issues surrounding violence and also this traumatic stress that comes after it, the PTSD that, that comes after these kind of incidents for a lot of the survivors and also for the families of the victims. Also with us is DJ Kenny Reck. He's a father of six. He's here repping for the dads on the hip hop tip. And uh, your phone call is 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Now, Kenny, you grew up as a white male in a black neighborhood. That's right. What was that like? And uh, they all thought I was Puerto Rican, so. <laughs> Did so that I give you a pass? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of give me a pass. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, when you're around your white friends, they want to act white, and it's like, uh, you know, they have their own little circle. But I was always the type of dude where I, you know, I believe in God first, so that was my foundation. So it's like I didn't look at anybody as race. I'm, you know, white, black, Spanish. It's all all the same to me. So, but of course, you have those circles and those people that think differently and it's like you know you just gotta win yourself through it all and there's also and also with hip-hop too hip-hop has oh, been very very welcoming always multi even though start you know started by Man, the black and latino community that's a big here. reason why i love hip-hop you know it brings everybody together it's about the music it's, first and foremost absolutely and the culture absolutely 
But what about in terms of have you been around people with light complexion, whites, who have talked in racist terms and they assumed you were okay with it because of of your light complexion? Oh, to this day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could be in a taxi cab, you know, and, oh, you're Italian? Oh, yeah, I'm Italian. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they'll start going into the whole, you know, start talking about this race, that race. That's where I draw the line. And what do you say? I mean, you know... Sometimes I, I like to joke around because, you know, I'm a comedian. So I feel, I feel like if you joke with them and try to get them. But some of them, like, they'll just literally like, oh, okay, if you're not like me, you're not going to, you know, be racist like me. It's like they won't even have a conversation. They don't they'll, want to have anything drop, to do They'll stop the conversation but right how there. Do you, and, then, and then how do you kind of say, listen, I'm not cool with that. I just, I, I don't appreciate those comments. I'd rather like, talk like about I something said, else. Like I said, I try to be like a comedian first. Yeah. And I'll sit there and say something, you know, funny and try to get them to like butter up. But you got some guys are just like really, you know, old school with it. Where it's like, I thought we would, honestly, I thought we were done with this racist thing. Like I can't even believe in 2015 <laughs> we're actually talking about, you know, going through A such, white guy in a Confederate flag I going mean, into a black yeah, church I and shooting people. I thought we were past all of that already. I know, it's like something out of the Selma movie. It's unbelievable. I mean, like, I remember growing up in the 80s when I was a kid, you know, in the schools, everybody had their section, you know, it's like in in the lunchroom, it was like, these are the white guys, Mm -hmm. these are the black guys, even in the black neighborhoods. I mean, you know, like, it was a very small knit thing. And like, um, growing up, you know, little by little, it started getting better and better. And then hip hop being part of, you know, the 90 thing, it was like 90, the golden age of hip hop. I really believe hip-hop, to me, is like the foundation of what really started, you know, opening up the doors to other cultures and other people. Almost and like a civil, a different type of oh, civil yeah, rights man, movement. Right. Like a cultural civil rights Absolutely. movement. Absolutely. Know? Let me, let, let me, I believe that, too. Let me, let me ask you this. As a father, though, what do you tell your children about race and about some of these things? If they get called white boy or they get called, oh, that white girl, or they get, or they're around their friends and their friends are, or, or, or just in school and somebody uses the N word around them to talk about somebody else. Oh, what I do you tell the, What do you tell your kids about race and also how they're perceived? Well, I like to, you know, like I said, I'm a comedian, so we like to have fun with it. I don't try to be too serious with things. Um, fortunately, I have pretty smart kids, and I'm very fortunate for that, and I'm blessed for that. They are really, really smart kids, so they really know just within their own tuition. Um, but you know, there's days where they come home, Dad. You know, because they're actually half Latino, they're half uh, Puerto Rican, so they'll get all kinds of like, you know, from every which from way, every which way, right? So you know, I try to tell them, you know, take it easy with it. It's not something to be too serious about, you know. Um, treat everybody, treat like- everybody equally, right? And um, you know, fortunately, I've been okay with that, and they're they're doing fine with it as well. You know, I, it's like almost like water that you know brushes. Like they don't off. pay attention yeah, to it. Brush like right it's... off, and it's like and 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 that's it. And and that sounds very very positive and very healthy, Doctor Lisa. But what about our our racist somebody like a Dylan Roof from what we know of him from the media and the court documents and his actions? Do, is it, are kids just born bad? Like are are people just born bad, at, like that, or evil, or are they? Did somebody influence him? Does I mean. Well, that's a nice, easy way to, um, you know, cop out to mm. something that seems appa- like apparent, like apparent. No one would ever go into a church and kill up nine people unless they were just born evil. Right. However, that's too simple of an explanation for something so tragic and so horrific. What's probably more causable or plausible is that he was socialized around certain kinds of hate conversation um, exposed or overly exposed to certain kinds of discriminatory language and the and just e- overall just the treatment of people of color it was something that um, Donald Trump said the other day as he was moving towards his campaign he said Mexicans rape people like who says that he said something wow. about Mexicans raping what are we going to do about all this immigration Mexicans and when you put that kind of hate language out rhetoric from someone so wealthy so powerful where our expectations of wealthy people is usually higher than the average one of us right we don't we expect they would be much more logical than that he said something like that so when you when you when you think about things like that yes no this child um was very much um affected with his ace what i call adverse childhood experiences because he was also exposed to various language and culture and, and then sees the flag and then the flag is allowed there let's take well the flag validates that this is norm, normalized that this, this is behavior. okay mm-hmm. let's go to uh, anthony from the bronx anthony hi you're on hot 97 go right ahead 
Hi, um, good morning. Happy Father's Day to everybody. Happy good Father's morning. Day. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I just think that, that it's a sad world that we're living in where we have to put race in front of everything. Um, at the end of the day, I think we're all human. Um, there should only be one race. I, and I mean, it goes deeper than that. Even on job applications, we're labeled and they want to know, you know, what your race is. I don't think it should be like that. I, th I think we should all be human. Um, I think we should all realize that we are the human race. I have a biracial daughter. And when she was younger, she would come up to me and say, you know, am I black? Am I white? And I would have to explain to her that we are human. And it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. At the end of the day, inside, we're all the same. I just, I just think that, I don't know, this world is sad and it, it breaks my heart. And, and my um, condolences go out to all the families affected in the South Carolina shootings. All right, Anthony. Happy Father's Day, and, and thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Let's go to um, let's go to Sarah from New Jersey right now. Sarah, hi. You're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi. Hi. Um, I like I've been so conflicted with this whole thing. Actually, when everything started in Ferguson, because I started like actually looking at things for what they are. There's no way that anybody can say, "Oh." We're all human. Oh, we're all this. We're all that. When it's literally open season on African Americans in the United States, it's disgusting. It's literally disgusting. Like, how are you going to have this man, Dylan Group, going to go and say, "Oh, black people are taking over um, our country"? Blah blah blah. All this, all that. Literally saying why he did it, and then you have the media saying, "Oh, it's because he's mentally ill." Oh, we don't know why he did this. He said exactly why he did it. So why are you not? Why are you not calling him a thug? Why are you not calling him a terrorist? Because that's exactly what he is. Yet you call the peaceful protesters that are saying stop killing us in cold blood. You want to call them thugs, and you want to call them, oh, um, oh, they're wrong. They're doing this. They're doing that because they're angry. Because okay, Sarah, I think you're raising I think you're raising a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of questions, and I want to no, no, no. That's that's what the show is for, and we appreciate the call. I'd love to get Dr. Elisa's take on this. The sense that's the emotion that Sarah expressed of as a, as a black woman, they're coming after us. They're coming after the black community. What do you think about that? And then you know, contrast that. Some people would say to the day to day violence that many people in the African American community have to deal with. I think that has been the way that black people have coped with racism for a very long time. And again, I think the fact that this incident occurred in a church in some way has struck a nerve in them that has then elevated the fear, you know, to a level that now it's not just that I can't get a job because I'm black because they've learned to cope with that or I know a cab will not pick me up in New York City and take me to Brooklyn because they've learned to cope with that right um, I remember walking with my mom for seven blocks because a cab wouldn't pick us up and I'm thinking she's 67 I need to get her in a cab and I'm very frustrated so but I, I figured out you know mom let's run down into the train you know because we coped with that we figured out a strategy so that we can get home I think this feels like it's you just can't touch it. You can't you can't fix it just by your normal everyday coping skills and strategies. You can't cope with you it. You can't cope with it. It has elevated the level of fear beyond what we probably will never quite understand right now. It'll take time over time that we learn about this, but I think it I think the way that we're coping with it has been just pray, like you said, just just keep, you know, the focus on, you know, Jesus and God and, and religion and we'll get through this. And I just don't necessarily I, I, I accept it in some ways, but in other ways, I think that is it's not about numbing and avoidance. It's, a, it's about approaching the issue head on and facing the pink elephant in the room as it stands and saying to 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 the powers that be, this is it. This is the lesson. This is the final opportunity to kill people. Mass. Let's look at gun control and have a real serious conversation because there's 
was that was a legally purchased gun, right? But the, and right, and, and in fact, his father met all the criteria for eligibility criteria. But the other question is, there's people who they claim are mentally ill and all all across the world, right? But they don't have the same mass killings that we do in America. So part of it is a larger. If you're going to say we're going to always have people who are born with brain differences, then maybe we need to manage the things that we can control, like guns that could potentially put being um, put in the hand of the wrong person that then goes out and kills 50 of us at one time. Yeah, see, those are the tangible things that we can address, but for whatever reason, we want to pray it away. No, we need to have a praying conversation about how to get these guns off the street so that when people decide to get so depressed that they want to kill other people, they don't have the, the means to do it. They have a knife, they can stab you and, you and I, and we all attack, and that's it. You know, and I mean, that that's where I feel like we're moving away from some of the real conversations. And I hope with the feds getting involved with this process that it now opens up. It provides the resources for real dialogue, real conversation and real change and willing to go up against the powers the same way we went up against the powers for the civil rights movement, the same way slavery was abolished. This will take the same approach and the same power, the same push. Now, it takes um, it seems to some some pundits and some uh, bloggers and, and people who are watching the, what's happening in politics in America, that the discussion around race in America always tends to focus on, okay, now what does the black community need <laughs> to do? H- how can the black community com- cope with this mm-hmm. without really, as you say, the pink elephant mm-hmm. in the room, which is the okay. white supremacist attitudes that continue to exist? Exactly. I mean, this was not a black kid or um, a black person who went into any other kind of religious institution and killed up a bunch of people. The pattern and characteristics of the people who do these kinds of crimes are white males. And so we need to begin to understand the behavior, the the emotional and mental triggers for this. Where's this hate coming from? Where's this? Uh, this he didn't just wake up like all. No. The, you, do you be, do you believe it? Do you believe as a therapist like all of a sudden maybe? A year ago, he all of a sudden decided he hated blacks. And then there's the other weird thing with this, too, that I don't know if it's true or not, it, because, again, I wasn't I wasn't there on the scene and I wasn't reporting it firsthand. But he has this 22-year-old, there's this 22-year-old Kristen Scriven, who's African-American, who says he was his black friend, who said, yeah, yeah, last week he was joking about shooting up a college, but apparently the college had too tight a security, so he was going to go to the church. Now, I don't know if that was just somebody trying mm-hmm. to insert themselves in the story mm-hmm. because there's reporters crawling mm-hmm. all over the place mm-hmm. or or if that's true but in terms of warning signs these what am, my question to you Dr. Lisa is do people who are capable of this violence does it just happen do they turn that way overnight or are there things that lead up to it there's probably things that have led up to it uh, it's just that it's from a legal standpoint it's the action that gets the consequence so it's only until you do something or inflict harm on self or others that someone responds so I can sit here all day and say you know I you know plan on doing whatever I plan to do but as long as I never do it there's nothing that's going to occur. Who do you call? Is there some kind of repository for that kind of information? Or Lisa gets on the phone and say, Dr. Lisa's my girl, but let me tell you, she's out there thinking about plotting a, a killing. Right. right. You know, there's no place to reposit that information. So, um, Right, to, about a crime that's before before it's committed. And but it is important for family and friends to pay attention. This is when the community is important. Dads and uncles and, and relatives. We also have been so um, numb and immune to these kinds of issues. When we hear like a relative may be a little off or talking crazy in a way. Or see a change because some a, of the cases uh, people were talking about, let's let's call this a domestic act of terrorism for the purposes of the discussion. And with the, the, the Dylan Roof, there had to have been people that heard him talking or his, his behavior change or saw this evolution or maybe he was groomed ever since he was a kid by certain family members. But there was also with, with some of the, the terrorists suspected of 
uh, collaborating with ISIS via online, uh, many of the family members say, okay, well, you know what, he was a normal college student, and then in the last six months, he started saying things that were very hateful, very crazy, and very violent. So that was just the only, that was the thing that came to the end. So he was at the point now that he was ready. So it's like anything else. You're working on your body, and then you're ready for the swimsuit, right? Right. (laughs) It's like he was working on it, and then he was able to um, execute. So I think that it's important for the families. I know as a therapist, I have hundreds of patients, and I find that they're they're often alone. And I always say to myself, where's the support system? Where Aren't they going home to live with someone? Aren't they going to spend time with people? And it's only until they admit to one of us that they plan to hurt someone or themselves, then we have a protocol to follow. And usually that is to call 911 and to have them admit it. But that's what we follow as a protocol. What would you follow as a layman or a relative? No, I mean, and then people don't want to call the police, and then that's a whole other issue of, <laughs> of trust and uh, and all that. But let me let me talk about uh, solution. Well, the, I don't know what the solution is, but let's. <laughs> we still got a lot of the problem to talk about here. But in, in Kenny, uh, DJ Kenny, Rec, in terms of the hip hop community, do you think that we may see some type of hip hop response to this or artists I mean, of talking course, about this. Definitely, I know there's people out there for right now making mixtapes and you know those mixtapes touch a lot of people and it's very, you know, important as an artist or a DJ to really get those positive things out to the communities and use those avenues to promote this positivity because man, we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, as I said before, I thought we were over with this. I thought, you know, we were living in a time where we were starting to, you know, get out of that racism. But reality struck. And maybe for us in the North, we have to be like, okay, this is a wake-up call. This is our country, too. Absolutely. We can't just go like, oh, that's the South. Absolutely. You know, like, that's the South. I like the idea of the hip-hop community responding in some kind of important way. However, I also think, you know, all of this electric music or rock music, everyone should respond every, every in a genre. way Absolutely. that says that violence is ugly, racism yes. is bad, and Excellent hate is point. awful. Music is Excellent definitely point. A, a powerful tool. Let's hope, let's hope that happens. Let me see if I and squeeze in one call here real quick. Uh, Talia from New Jersey. Talia, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? All right, how are you doing? I'm a little um, upset about the whole situation because, you know, I was just talking to my dad and he lives in North Carolina and I just was thinking that it's getting too close. Well, it's been close, but it's getting too out of hand now and I feel like a lot of people are just, you know, sweeping it under the rug and you know, it's only a matter of time before the black community all over the world starts retaliating. And then I feel like when we do retaliate, it's going to be, you know, bigger than just white people having mental issues or mental problems. Now we're going to be the, you know, we won't no longer be the victim. And I feel like it's sad, especially me being a young black woman growing up in East Orange, New Jersey, a lot of people now, a lot of young people are killing each other. And it's like we have white people out here, they're killing us. They don't have any remorse for us. The government and everyone else is just, you know, bypassing it like it's not a big deal and it's becoming a big deal. And then the young black people, they don't have any sympathy for themselves. They don't care about themselves because we're out here killing each other as well. And I feel like that's a problem because if we can't come together, we can't make, you know, sit in a church, we can't talk about what's going on and you know fix things between ourselves there's going to always be a problem all right talia you're raising you're raising so many uh so so many good issues and 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 just for uh, you know as as point of fact statistically most whites are killed by whites most most blacks are killed by blacks most ethnic and racial groups the murders are committed by people of who look like them and superficially in terms of that and in terms of the in terms of the response to this um i'm sure we're going to be discussing that in the future and talking about that and and uh uh, you know, good luck to you and everything with everything that you're doing. And thank you for calling in to uh, Street Soldiers, Talia from New Jersey. All right, we are out of time, unfortunately. We want to wish a very happy Father's Day to all of the dads out there. DJ Kenny Rack, father of six. Yes, I'm a very busy man. You are a very busy man. <laughs> Let me tell you right there. And to, and to your son Michael here, helping us out, run the papers around, and uh, giving us a little assist that we needed. You know, we always got a lot going on here at Street Soldiers behind the scenes. And uh, Dr. Elisa English, you can uh, you can check out Dr. Elisa on her website. Ask Dr. Elisa.com. Thank you so much for being with us and helping us 
understand this because, you know, as you can see from the callers, a lot of people are really upset and, and very, very touched about this. And maybe, maybe this can be the, the last time that this happens. Yeah, we pray. We pray. Thank you. Thank you. And also, um, I want to say say a big shout out to number 53 of the New York Giants, the middle linebacker, Jamil McClain. Did an interview with him last week for my new hashtag street stories on Fox 5, talking about heroes, what he's doing for the kids, everywhere he goes. His amazing story of coming up and never, ever letting them tell him. He couldn't do it. It couldn't happen. He couldn't be. That's going to be a very inspiring story. So follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, and you'll find out when that's going to be. And, of course, we'll tweet out the link. And uh, Michael Medium is going to make it possible for us to tweet out the link of this show as well that uh, you can listen to on LisaEvers.com. So on Twitter, at Lisa Evers, Instagram and Google+, Plus at Lisa Evers. And uh, check out our new Lisa Evers official on Facebook. I think this week we'll be kicking it off. Hashtag Lisa's Day. Everybody's asking me how I'm doing it, and I, I want to reveal some of my secrets, like my backpack on wheels, you know, things like that. The, li- the lip gloss the lip gloss that lasts all the way through the live shot when it's 90 degrees outside and your makeup is freaking running down your face. There's all these little things as being a reporter in the field. So uh, check me out, on fa- like me on Facebook, please, Lisa Evers. And uh, you can hear the Street Soldiers episodes, this one and all the others. And also check out my latest Fox 5 videos on LisaEvers.com, Fox, uh, Fox 5 News, I should say, that we're the local Channel 5, um, at 6 and 10 tonight, 5 and 10 during the week. And now, if you want to be a part of this show, contact Tone Capone, my executive producer, Tone, the number 4 real at gmail.com. Tone, the number 4 real at gmail.com. I want to thank our associate producer, the one and only Rose D. On the boards, the one and only Michael Medium, digital assistance from way behind the scenes, the one and only TJ. So we thank him and, uh, you know, have a great week. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. And before I say what I'm going to say, Kid Yogi coming up next. So push for peace.